poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. This is your host, Coach Brad Wilson. I am joined by John, who I'm not going to ask. I just assume he's doing god-awful this week. What's up, John? Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, Brad? I'm actually not doing awful. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing the usual. I'm doing well. Ah, this guy. Always doing well. What do we have in store this week for Tactical Tuesday? Let's talk about this tweet that you fired out and this question that you posed to Greatness Village that's been getting some attention uh, both on Twitter and in the Slack group. I guess we can reference your tweet. Uh, is on July 4th, Brad asked, interesting hypothetical for you, uh, for you one, two live grinders. Assuming no rate considerations, if six pros sat at your table and started opening to $5, would you continue opening to $15? Bonus question. What do you think the pro strategy would be if you did open to $15 continually? Um, I think this is, this is an interesting question, and this, this gets asked quite frequently at, 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 in the Greatness Village Slack group. Like, everyone's 7xing, 8xing in my live 1-2 game. Like, do I play the same ranges that I learned in preflop bootcamp? Do I size the same? Do I size my 3-bets the same? Like, what should I do? Yeah, it's something that it's something that I see frequently as well, and I, I feel like a little bit of a failure when I see these questions because, like, it, it's just such a it's such a live poker thing that it it's almost like it feels like the game is different than online, right? Like, there's this one environment online where we open two point five x, and then there's this different environment live where we open eight x for different reasons, right? And it's just like you know, why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Why do we open small preflop? Like, why do all of these things occur? Because really, if you know why all the things happen, then that should give you a better framing and understanding of how to proceed both online and live. Yeah, so maybe we can just jump into that question and explore that a little bit to start off this episode. Why do we open so small online relative to live? Um, no, sure. What's... I mean, we'll start out with you, Brad. Like, what's your standard opening size preflop? 2.5x. So if right. I'm playing 1-2, I'm opening to 5. And yeah. why do you like... Why? How do you land on 2.5x versus 3x or 8x, which, <laughs> which you see live? Why don't you open <laughs> those sizes? Yeah, so I think that there can be an argument for varying your open size to 3x. You know, I, I believe you opened a 3X on buttons, right, John? Yeah, that's something that I used to do. I've actually shrunk everything down. I used to be a 2.5X from everywhere except the button and 3X the button. Now I am 2.25Xing everywhere and 2.5Xing the button. I'm actually <laughs> thinking about going all the way down to min opening from everywhere, but uh, I can talk about that later. I think that does illustrate like some of some of the benefits of opening small. Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing is trust the supercomputers that generate optimal strategies based on specific sizings, right? Like, and 
you know, look at Monker solves, or if you're, you know, been through preflop bootcamp, then you have those grids. If you're uh, in poker coaching, you've got optimal preflops cash grids there. Like basically you can find the cash grids in lots of places. And like, I don't even, the difference between 2.5 X and three X, I don't really care about so much, but basically like when you're playing preflop, you have a model that shows you what to do, right? Because this is what the, like I said, the supercomputers have come up with this model. And then basically you're executing this model as your preflop strategy. And so like when you memorize these 65 grids or however many there are, there's a bunch of them, like that's a lot of hard work and memorizing like multiple sets of grids for different sizes just isn't really practical. And so like for me, I opened a 2.5x um, because I want to play more hands and I want to risk less preflop. And I understand the preflop model of 2.5x very well. And so that's what leads me to opening 2.5x. Uh, okay, so question. Why does opening 2.5x or why does opening smaller allow you to play more hands than if you were opening larger? It's risk versus reward, right? You're risking 2.5 big blinds to win 1.5 big blinds, right? Like that's what happens when you open 2.5x. When you open 5x, now you're risking five big blinds to win 1.5 big blinds. So you need to win that at a much higher frequency and you need to have much stronger hands to be able to risk five to win 1.5. Yeah. Also, like an, an added wrinkle to that, I think, is uh, when you get three bet and you're opening a larger size, you're losing more every time you get three bet. If you're opening to two and a half X and you're folding three bets, you're losing half a big blind more than if you open you know, if you open min to like two X, I think I, that is also, yeah, yeah ideally you just want to open, you, you want to risk the minimum to win for the biggest reward, right? Like this is like just pretty straightforward. You risk the minimum to win the reward. And so like, yeah, it just, it, and then like, we can also talk about like, you know, having multiple sizes preflop. So like we could say, okay, well maybe sometimes you open 2.5 X, maybe sometimes you open three or four, well, like then again, like you have to balance your strategies all together and like having multiple sizes preflop is just exponentially increases the complexity everywhere else. And you're just, it's not practical. It's not executable. You're just going to fall apart. Yeah. I think you're also just way more likely to reveal imbalances in your range by having different sizes than you are to like, you know, capture some, uh, like some value that you're not by having different ranges for different sizes. Right. Um, I mean, I'm gonna play. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I just wanted to. This was just a thought that kind of popped into my head that, like, when people have multiple bet sizes on the flop, you know, this is this is the same consideration pre flop, but like nobody has multiple sizes pre flop in their pre flop strategy from different positions. But then lots of people will advocate for like two or three different sizing choices on different flops, assuming that they can somehow manage those better than they could manage two or three different pre flop sizings, which, like, it's just an interesting, uh, interesting thought. Yeah, I'm gonna keep playing kind of devil's advocate here and and asking you questions as if I was, you know, a, a live player who wanted to open 8x. And and I'm gonna ask you if like online the environment is significantly different different from live, especially if you're playing six max and you're playing full ring live. Where when you're playing six max online, it's pretty rare for pots to go four or five ways to the flop, but online that happens all the time. If you were playing in an online game where you were you saw that you were just getting lots of callers uh, for your two two and a half x open, would you size larger to uh, 
spin the field or to, I don't know. I think another like valid reason you could open larger in those kinds of environments is because people are just playing looser. So we get more value when we, you know, open aces three and a half X and they're, and we know that they're not going to fold. I think that's valid, right? Like it's a, it's a fine exploit, assuming that like nobody's paying attention and, you know, you're going to flops three or four ways. You can open a little bit bigger and that's going to be fine. So like, I think you should, but the reason for doing it is because you're getting more money in when you have an equity advantage. You're not doing it just to like, you know, thin the field. Like thinning the field is like, it's the silliest thing ever. And it's something like I hear said all the time, right? Like this is one of my answers uh, to the question that I ask on the normal CPG episodes. Uh, What's a what's common poker strategy that people talk about that I completely disagree with? Well, I completely disagree with this one because the goal in poker is not to win as many pots as you possibly can. The goal in poker is to win the most money as you possibly can. And so, you know, another tweet that I made today was that like thicken the fields, like you win more money if you thicken the fields, right? Like let's not raise so much that we get whales folding out um, they're really bad hands when we have really good hands that just, it, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement with you on that. I think that like, while we do talk about like opening, you know, premium hands slightly larger, if you notice that you're getting tons of callers, uh, I still think that like opening with the intent of getting fewer callers is not the right reason to open larger. The reason you want to open larger is because like Brad said earlier, you have a massive equity advantage versus a range. Nobody's paying attention to the fact that you are now four and a half Xing instead of your like normal two and a half X and you get in like an extra two big blinds per player in preflop. Uh, yeah, preflop while you have like a, you know, presumably a massive, massive edge. I think it's a, it's a mistake to say like, well, I want to open my aces eight X so that I get heads up. So I win 50% of the time instead of, you know, I get it. I, we go to the flop four ways and like maybe I only win like a quarter of the time or like less than 50% of the time, but you're winning more money every time you win those four-way, three-way hands than you are when you're going heads up. So all that balances out. Um, yeah, just to cap off this conversation, I guess um, I'm with you, Brad. I think I think that like thinning the field argument is is actually just like not valid. I don't think, I don't even think it's a weak argument. I think it's just the not, not valid argument. Yeah, it, it's... You know, we we want to try to control things. I think this this is like part of our humanity, maybe our biology. We want to feel like we're in control, and like therefore we want to get it to like manageable preflop, right? It's like two or three, then I know what to do. And if I if there's like five, you don't you feel like you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And to that, I would just say, start trying to figure out what to do five ways, <laughs> like right instead of like trying to control the situation and make it two or three. Why don't you just start really thinking about your strategy with various portions of your range on various flop textures five ways? And, you know, it's like, it's not ultra complicated either, which is kind of the the irony of the whole thing. It's like, you play a flop four ways against whales. Well, you're playing pretty truthful here. And then you're trying to construct exploits against the bad players who are going to provide you with plenty of ammunition to exploit them. Yeah. All right. I think we've hammered home the concept of opening smaller. Um, after the jump, going to tell a story about monkeys. That's how I think about preflop strategy. We're going to dive a little bit into why we think 
one, two games around the world, do this funny, silly thing of opening ADEX preflop. Stick around. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about bootcamp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Welcome back to today's episode of Tactical Tuesday, Patriotic episode july 4th we're actually recording this on july 4th but 
it'll be released on July 6th. Hope everybody had a safe and happy July 4th weekend. So, John, let's dive into the second part of this kind of funny pre-flop thing that happens in live poker. Yeah, so the main question here is why do people or the pool uh, that plays live 1-2, why do they raise to such a large size? Why do they open 7x, 8x? Um, We briefly touched on one of the reasons uh, that gets commonly quoted, and that's to thin the field so that you're playing against fewer players uh, instead of going massively multi-way every time. Brad, you, you said that you actually had a, a kind of like a story or an experiment that you think illustrates why people, why everyone <laughs> opens to such a massive size uh, at low six live cash. Yeah. So as a social experiment, I believe it was in the 70s or the 80s. And basically the experiment was they locked 10 monkeys in a room that had a ladder and at the top of the ladder, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we're going to call it a banana just because monkeys like bananas. So they have a, a banana at the top of the ladder and the first monkey that ran up the ladder um, to get the banana pressured water fired on all the monkeys in the room. And the second time a monkey ran to get a banana, pressured water soaked all the monkeys in the room. So it didn't take very long for them to figure out like, yo, don't go up that ladder, right? And so what what the researchers did was they... One by one, they took one monkey out, replaced it with a brand new monkey that had never, it had never gotten soaked. It had never had the downside to going for the banana and it would scale the ladder to get it. And all the other monkeys would grab it and pull it down. They would, they would not let it climb the ladder. Right. And over time they replaced all of the monkeys that had been soaked by water with brand new monkeys that had never experienced the downside of going up the ladder. But the brand new monkeys, to a monkey, <laughs> would grab a newcomer as it climbed the ladder and pull it down, despite never getting the negative consequence, just because that was what all the other monkeys were doing, right? And so that, to me, has always been like a, a great metaphor for why, you know, a lot of, especially old school type strategies in poker, but more specifically pre-flop poker, um, just why, like, yeah, you got a monkey that's opening 8x, and then you're like, oh, what does that monkey know? It must know something that I don't know, so I'm just going to open to 8x too because all the other monkeys are doing it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a lot of of what's happening here. I think uh, in in low six live cash, um, you know, like another <laughs> like a kind of an addition to like your story that I think is is adds even more humor to the situation is that like when the first one, two game, I asked this to you, when the first one, two game opens in the casino for the day and everybody sits down for a new game, like how does the first guy decide what, what size he wants to open to? And like, how does he land on 16 X or sorry, on $16, eight X. If there wasn't anybody opening that size to begin with, but that's very, still very likely the size that they probably land on. And, and <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's kind of funny how, like, even without seeing other people do it, that a lot of people just seem to land on, really, really, really big open sizes. Yeah, I mean, it's like if everybody opened like 16 all day long and four new players sat down and they all started opening to 10, I guarantee you everybody would be opening to 10 like within two hours. It would just like change mystically, right? Like, oh, these guys opening to 10, they must know something. I'm going to change, right? And what I find the 
the saddest part about this is like you have well-intentioned, well-studied poker players that will sometimes sit down in these games and start opening to 8X, like just because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, just, I mean, I, and I think that's, that's if, if we had like a follow-up to like this question, it would just be me asking people who play live cash um, and like are, you know, regular 7X, 8X openers, like why do you raise that size? Do you have like a good strategic reason for landing on that number or are you doing it because you want to fit in and you know it's it's kind of uncomfortable to draw attention to yourself by opening really small or really big or or you know some some non-standard number um, well you asked another great question too like you posed the opposite right of like if this were online and not in the live environment right and you had somebody opening 8x pre like four people at your online table would you start opening the 8x as well just because like Ever, the other players are doing it, right? Or would you just like capitalize and print money because they're risking way more than they should with very inappropriate hands? Yeah. yeah. I actually thought of like a funny analogy for this, similar to like your monkey experiment story. Um, I play a lot of basketball and one of the, like one of the analogies that I thought of for this was like, imagine you went to like the rec center to play some hoops and uh, let's say there's actually let's say there's money on this game to make it similar to poker, so there's actually something to win. And you notice that everybody in the rec center, the only shots they took were half court shots, and people were like breaking them and and just firing them up. Would you also shoot <laughs> half court shots, like only half court shots, because you want to fit in, or and that's what everyone else is doing, or would you just take everyone's money by playing normal basketball and making layups and not, you know, throwing up bombs? And that's essentially what people. That's I think like that's essentially what live cash players are doing. They're saying like, well, this is not how I play online. This is not how the professionals that I watch who play like really high stakes cash or these are not the sizes that they open to. But that's what's happening here. So I guess I'm just gonna jack up these half court shots as well <laughs> instead of doing my best to win money uh, and and playing you know a strategically sound or a more strategically sound strategy than. <laughs> I mean, what I'm most disappointed in are the people that ought to know better because like it, it is part of our like basic human biology to use social proof to our advantage, right? I, I've, I read other studies about how like they found these massive pileups um, that happen when like a bunch of cars start swerving all at the same time. And sometimes it's just the car in front of you changes lanes to the middle and for uh, you know, very quickly. And like you assume that they're doing it for a specific reason. Right. And then, so you change and then the person behind you changes lanes. And then you just got a bunch of people doing a dangerous thing for no reason at all, just because the person in front of them did something dangerous. And I think that like most of the time, if somebody swerves in front of you, there's a reason, right? So like, there's a reason why you, you need to get out of the way because there's something in the road and it's beneficial, but like, it's never a good reason in, in like a tactical environment like poker to just do something because all the other people are doing it because like the reality is doing things differently than your opponents is like where you get your edge from. Yeah. So like you want to play as bad as them and win money. No, you play differently than them so that you win money, right? Like that's where the edge is, but live poker it become, you know, it just becomes very tempting. You know, I see people that like, otherwise would never even consider doing something like over limping Jack 10 off, just over limping Jack 10 off because like other people are doing it. So like, okay, cool. Let's just fit in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would like, 
one thing I'd add on to that too is like when you look around the live one two table, like are those the types of players that you want to resemble? Like, is that who you who you want to like mirror your strategy against? Is like the average wreck or even reg who's playing live one two? Uh, probably it, not. Right, and like I, I don't want to talk trash about the, the unstudied people that are just there gambling, right? Because they don't know any better, right? Like they're just doing the best that they can using social proof. But like, if you know better, there's no excuse. Like if you know better than to open 8X, you got no excuse to be opening 8X. And also like, so I wanted to also talk about some of the, you know, things, strategic advantages of opening 2.5X, especially in a live environment where you go, you know, you go to a flop six ways very often, right? Um, And I think that, this is less talked about, like thinning the field is like over prioritized, but like, you know, when you open 2.5 X a, you can play way more hands than when you open eight X, like we just said, or you, you should be anyway, opening way more hands. If you take a flop six ways, you know, the pot is going to be reasonably large enough for you to get stacks in by the river when you flop huge and then when you don't flop anything six ways, well, you've only invested 2.5 big blinds instead of eight. So like you lose way smaller when you just check fold. And, and then on the flip side of that too, like pre-flop is where, you know, edges are going to be the smallest, no matter what. Like you open ace-king suited and you take a flop six ways, like you're not going to have that big of an edge over the field collectively. But then on the flop, you can realize much bigger edges when you f- flop big. Right. And so that's when, you know, you really want to start putting lots of money in the pot pre-flop. I mean, obviously if you have aces, that's one thing or Kings, that's another thing. But generally, you know, you have like tens or you have ace queen suited or ace king suited. Like you just, you're not, you're, you're not taking full advantage of the situation like you should be. Yeah. I think, so I think you're, I think all, everything that we've talked about so far, I just want to add assumes that we're playing in like a no rake game, like which is applicable uh, from what I've heard to like the one, two games in Texas. This is the rake police. Put your hand on the table, which is applicable to the uh, one, two games in Texas because they, they pay a time rake. So yeah, you can open to $5 and presumably, you know, even go heads up to a flop and, and, and it's fine. If you're playing in California and you're playing, uh, whatever the lowest stakes live cash being spread in a casino is, and, and they drop $5 instead of taking a rake or even a time rake as soon as you get to the flop. Uh, I'm starting to think, or not starting to think, I know for a fact that if you play whatever optimal solved ranges um, from either Munker or even preflop bootcamp, that you will struggle to make money unless you're playing against really, really, really weak opposition by like two and a half Xing or even three Xing preflop just because of how much money gets taken out of the pot on the flop. Um, how does, how would that change your, your advice know. at all to someone who's like not in Texas? Basically. I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, you're, you're the rake police. You're, you're the one that gives the, the raked wisdom here. Not me. Okay. I think that opening larger sizes in drop games, like the games that they have in California are, is significantly more reasonable than in no rake games or in uh, time games. I think that because the rake is so high, what the first thing that uh, that then incentivizes is playing a tighter range. Um, if you win less money from every pot because you know the casino takes uh, a huge, huge chunk of it, then you need to be way more selective about which hands you decide to enter the pot with because uh, you need way stronger 
you know, you, you need to win significantly more often to, to make a profit. The other thing that I think that would lead to is if you are opening a significantly tighter range, one of the things that I do think you can get away with is, uh, is opening larger, probably not up to seven X or eight X, but like four X, five X maybe is, is becomes, or three X to five X, I guess it becomes much more viable if you're tightening up the percentage of hands that you're opening. So yeah, I guess my advice to someone playing one, two live, uh, in a drop or really high rake environment would be to, uh, open larger than two and a half or three X, not as large as seven X, um, but significantly, significantly tighten your range. Um, I looked at a SIM. I'll just give this as an example. Um, a nine-handed SIM that simulated rake uh, in live two five in Vegas. And what the SIM advocated for was that versus an under the gun open, the big blind should be almost pure folding ace queen offsuit. And I'm pretty sure nobody's doing that. So that's just an example of like how tight you are supposed to be playing uh, in these high rate games. You don't have to, to make money for sure. And it's, it's definitely not as fun as playing lots of hands, but that would be what the supercomputer says is, is optimal strategy. All right. I'll take your word and the supercomputer's word for it. The final thing that I, I want to ask is, you know, the bonus question that we haven't dived into yet in this no rake environment. What do you think your strategy would be if villains at your table were opening to 15 at one, two. If, uh, if people were just opening like a, a like a two and a half X range for seven, seven X, like what would I do? Yeah. Like they're, they're just opening to like $16 preflop with like an unreasonable range. Yeah. I would play significantly tighter than like, like I, first of all, I probably wouldn't have any flats. I think versus a seven X or eight X. Well, okay. This is getting kind of this is getting like pretty tricky because it's like, well, I'm playing against like probably weak competition, so like maybe flatting is like not the end of the world. But like, let's say like this is online with no rake and people are like seven xing, eight xing, and we're 100 big blinds deep. I would probably play very, very few flats and just play like a pretty tight, strong range. Yeah, and not not be looking to get out of line too very much at all versus like. People who are putting so much money in uh, you don't have to. You you yeah. you gain the ability to wait because they're risking so much, which means that you know you should just significantly tighten up. Um, the original question in Greatness Village was the 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 original hand in question. Uh, Chris, edit all that out. the The original hand in question in Greatness Village was Ace Jack suited on the button versus an under-the-gun raise to $15 playing 1-2, uh, two whales call, and then what should your squeezing range be on the button there? Because the hero in question squeezed ace-jack suited um, and then got four-bet and like lots of bad things happened after that. We don't need to discuss all that because I think that's, <laughs> that's not, not ultra-important. What's more important is like, what do you think your squeezing range would be there, John, on the button? plus probably and ace like ace king suited like ace king and ace king suited I, I don't think i'd even squeeze ace queen i'd probably just flat ace jack suited ace queen suited i think tens is actually pushing it i would probably three bet queens plus uh maybe maybe jacks but queens queens plus and then ace king okay but you flat jacks and tens yeah 
Yeah, that seems that seems reasonable. I think again, like I, I know I just said that like flat you probably shouldn't be flatting when people are opening so large, but I, I think again that changes when it goes open call call and you're getting a you know a really good price with a really nutted a really nice nutted hand like ace jack of hearts. Sure. You're gonna make money by flatting yeah. there. Like I'm surprised that you wouldn't three bet even jacks. That's that seems a little tight to me, but well, the original question said that the the player that opened under the gun was like they seemed like a reasonable player. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Then I mean, even though they are opening 8x from under the gun, but like they're not, they're not doing it with like queen nine off or whatever. And right, so, right, like, right. Uh, you know, we have positional advantage post flop. Why are we going to reopen the action and risk? I would rather, I would rather squeeze with do seven off than ace jack suited. Yeah. I also think the size that uh, our hero here in this hand squeeze to is. Uh, way too big. I mean, like, this is what happens if you start playing like preflop bootcamp strategy in an environment where people are 8xing preflop. Like, they went 15 call call, so there's 45 in the middle, and the heroes three bet to 75 on the button, which, if you know, it was a two and a half x open and went call call, like, that would be a fine, you know, I think that the, the scaling like would be fine. But when you make it 75 and people have no money left behind because the original open was so small. Now you're basically forcing under the gun to play like a jam or fold strategy. Like they shouldn't have any calls when the SPR is like this deep. So like, yeah. So this like game, like if you're playing with reasonable people, eventually like just devolves into nobody ever getting to see a flop. Well, and the reason that that's it, because people are live players just like calling too much and feeling too wide. But yeah, if you were playing like this sort of strategy online, or if you were playing this sort of strategy against like really, really good players, the game would eventually just be like, nobody gets to see a flop because you have to jam pre because your SPR is just ridiculously low when you're eight, when you're eight X RFIing. I see this online too. There's an example of this like happening pretty frequently online where like a fish limps and then a reg will ISO like really, really big, like $50, uh, you know, in a five ten game where a fish limps and they like five exit or six exit. And then they get three bet by another reg from the blinds. And the three bet is pretty big, usually because the ISO size was so big. And then eventually what happens is that the fish folds and then the original opener, vast majority of the time folds or has to jam because the three bet is so big. And either you're getting cooler or not seeing a flop and the fish is fold, like almost always folding, which is bad for everybody. Yeah, like so if in a regular 2.5x sizing online, it's like 2.5x on the button. 11 big blinds from the small blind. And then your four bet is like to 24. Yep. Right. So like that's 24 big blinds here. We're three betting to like 35 big blinds. Yeah. Right. Or 37.5 big blinds. So we're yeah. three betting like 50% more than what the four bet should be. And like, you know, you talked about preflop bootcamp. Well, like preflop bootcamp was created versus 2.5x. You know, that's it's not the same game when villains open 8x. And the way that you adjust is you just scale back the hands that you're playing significantly as villains size more and more preflop. And if you wanted to visualize this in extreme, just imagine that villains shove preflop. Well, you would have to scale way back your strategy mm. and only call with like aces and kings and ace king. Right. Like, and that's just versus like an open shove because, like, again, they're risking so much, you can afford to wait forever until you have a significant advantage. Um, mm -hmm. But then, as like 
they do it more often than, you know, you can construct a better strategy than just aces and kings and ace king. When you see like gain visibility as to like what exactly they're doing this with. But anyway, that's a different story for another day. But basically like strategies were created with very specific sizes in mind. And when there's deviations from those sizes, the strategies are going to shift and you have to be able to shift from the strategies when that happens. And none of the strategies that at least that I know are publicly available were created for like 8x RFI sizes. So I've never seen a chart online and using it to play live is is not going to, I don't think it's going to work super well. I've never seen the computer suggest an 8x open and I've never seen the defense strategy for it. Yet people wield it around like it's the holy grail of poker strategies at one, two. All right. I, I think we've, we've beaten the dead horse here and hopefully provided the listeners, uh, you know, some information that lets them feel more comfortable opening smaller pre-flop in these live one-two games that are unraked. Uh, I will make that qualification, John. And next week, John and I are going to have an overlay made for Tactical Tuesday, so you'll be able to check it out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chasing Poker Greatness. Um, we're moving into the video space. Be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. 